530. Your source when you need answers. The Dr. Joe Show on CJAD 800. There's antimony, arsenic, aluminum, selenium, and hydrogen and oxygen and nitrogen and rhenium, and nickel, neodymium, neptunium, germanium, and iron, americium, ruthenium, uranium, europium, zirconium, lutetium, vanadium, and lanthanum, and osmium, and astatine, and radium, and gold, protactinium, and indium, and gallium, and iodine, and thorium, and thulium, and thallium. Today is one of those rare days when the question that I asked this morning on the trivia show was not answered. So we will give it a shot here once more. The question is about baseball cards. Uh, baseball cards, of course, have statistics and they have a picture of the player. Something in the picture of that player can be used to predict longevity. That is how long that player will live. Not talking about career-wise, but longevity in terms of number of years. So what is there? What feature of the picture on a card, baseball player card, would one look at to see whether or not that player is going to have a shorter or a longer life? If you know the answer to that, you give us a call at 514-790-0800. 514-800 is also where you can text your questions and comments. <clears throat> I'm Joe Schwartz. I direct McGill University's Office for Science and Society, and I chat with you here every Sunday afternoon. Uh, the same mandate as we have at McGill, that is to separate sense from nonsense and to make sure that you're up to date on the machinations of science. And of course, we hope to keep you out of the clutches of charlatans. I'm going to throw a couple more questions out at you. Uh, and uh, of course, we welcome your attempts at uh, an answer. <clears throat> In 1945, Grand Rapids, Michigan, was the first city in the world to institute a public health measure to control the most prevalent disease in the world. What was that measure? And I will give you one more. What rule were researchers trying to study by dropping a slice of bologna onto tile, carpet, and wood surfaces? So we're looking for the rule that the researchers were studying when they dropped a slice of bologna on tile, carpet, and wood surfaces. And of course, we're looking for the answer to my question about what you can look for, the picture of a player on a baseball card that will give you a clue about how long that athlete is going to, to live. All right, well, let's get started. I'm going to tell you uh, a story. <clears throat> I think I was about 12 years old when I attended my first university lecture. And no, no, I was no child prodigy, and I certainly did not go willingly. My parents dragged me to McGill to listen to a talk by Dr. Hans Saye, at that time already recognized as a world authority on stress. I'm not sure why my parents were so bent on attending this event, but I suspect it was because the good doctor had a Hungarian name. Actually, Saye was Austrian and educated in Prague, Paris, and Rome, but you should know that by Hungarian standards, if you have a Hungarian name, you're Hungarian. Memory is a strange thing, isn't it? I couldn't tell you what the lecture was about, but I do vividly remember one story that Dr. Saye told. It was about meeting a drunk who was mildly abusive. Saye described him 
how he had a decision to make. He could either get into physical confrontation with the chap or ignore him and walk away. A fight would have elevated his blood pressure. I remember this because he wildly waved a blood pressure cuff around and would have increased his pulse rate, both effects which he decided were better avoided. And then he spoke of another situation, one in which he was mugged and threatened on the street. This time there was no turning the other cheek, action was required. His pulse raised, blood pressure soared, and the attacker was beaten off. This, I must admit, was a touch difficult to believe because I recall that Dr. Say hobbled more than he walked, the result of two hip operations, as I later learned. I didn't get the point of this story at the time. In fact, I didn't get it until about 25 years later, when I read Say's classic work, The Stress of Life. By then, I had, uh, of course, discovered that Professor Say was probably the world's leading authority on what was being called biological stress syndrome. Actually, he was more than an authority, he was the originator of the term. In the 1930s, at McGill University, Saya had carried out a series of experiments on rats, injecting them with a variety of toxins. While there were various reactions depending on what specific chemical was used, there were also a number of common symptoms produced, irrespective of the nature of the toxin. The rat's adrenal cortex enlarged, their spleen and thymus gland shrank, and bleeding ulcers developed in their gut. In other words, there was a reaction just from being stressed. Sayed then went on to show that these same reactions could be produced by subjecting the rats to demanding physical or psychological conditions. Stress itself was capable of triggering chemical reactions in the body. It didn't take long to find out exactly what was going on. Under stress, the adrenal gland pumped out adrenaline and cortisol, which then caused the physical symptoms. And this happened not only in rats, but also in humans. Stress, it seemed, could raise our blood pressure, make us sweat, force our heart to beat faster. If there was underlying heart disease, it could even kill us. But could was Sayez's key word. Stress didn't necessarily have to have negative effects on the body. The key was our adaptation to stress. How we handled an adverse situation, not the situation itself, was critical. This is where the story of the drunk comes in. Sayez maintained that here was a choice in the possible responses to a stressful situation. You could get angry and provoke a potentially dangerous physiological response or walk away and spare the body. We often have such a choice. Find a parking ticket on your car and you can rant and rave and then pay the ticket or calmly accept the fact that you were negligent and pay the ticket. The financial penalty is the same, but the penalty to your health may be quite different. Of course, we don't always have a choice. After all, that's why our bodies evolved the ability to secrete adrenaline and cortisol. Sometimes we need a sudden burst of energy, a boost in the heart's pumping capacity. Sometimes we do need to fight or flee, as in Saya's account of the mugger. Consider what is worth fighting for and what is not, was Dr. Say's message, because it may be a matter of life or death. Basically, Saya had suggested that inappropriate negative emotions can be physically destructive. If that is so, what can positive emotions do? That's the question that cropped up in Norman Cousins' mind in 1964 when the well-known writer and editor developed a form of arthritis that attacks connective tissue in the body. Ankylosing spondylitis is a terrible disease that usually progresses to an immobilizing welding of the joint in the spine 
ribs, neck, and jaw. Could positive emotions like laughter be of any help in battling the ailment, Cousins wondered? To find out, he decided to undergo laughter therapy. He rented movies starring the Marx Brothers of the Three Stooges and began to laugh his way back to health. Within eight days, there was some improvement, and four months later, Cousins was back at work on his way to conquering the disease. He recounted his remarkable escapade in a classic book, The Anatomy of an Illness. Was he really cured by laughter, or was Norman Cousins just one of the few lucky ones who happened to recover from ankylosing spondylitis? Difficult question to answer, but there's no doubt that there were many others who tried to follow in his footsteps and tried to laugh themselves to health, but did not beat their disease. Of course, they didn't end up writing books about their experience. Cousins' self-cure may be questionable, but his contribution to science is undeniable. He sensitized the scientific community to the need to study body-mind relationships seriously. And to this day, that, of course, is, is of prime importance because we know the strong connection between the body and the mind. We know what anger can do. We know what, what uh, therapies uh, that lead to, to uh, uh, medit like meditation, for example, can reduce the risk. Uh, anger can be absolutely deadly. So one really needs to guard uh, against uh, developing anger for unreasonable uh, situations. We have to learn to go with the tide and know what is important and what is not important, what is worth getting angry over, what is not worth getting angry over. A study at Stanford University Medical Center found that breast cancer patients who enrolled in support groups where they shared feelings and learned stress reduction techniques and always had someone around to lend an ear were less depressed, had less pain, had a more positive outlook, and survived twice as long. Uh, if these results had been seen with a new medication, pharmaceutical companies would immediately have revved up their publicity uh, machines. So the point of all of this is that the connection between the body and the mind is a very, very important one. And we can exercise some control uh, over it. Attitude is very important. The way we look at phenomena is very important. And controlling anger is uh, of prime importance. All right, we're going to check traffic, but let me just remind you of the questions that we have out there. How can you tell from looking at a picture on a baseball card whether that player is going to have longevity or not? And we're looking for 1945 when Grand Rapids, Michigan was the first city in the world to institute a public health measure. Question is, what was that uh, health measure? And what rule were researchers trying to study by dropping a slice of bologna onto tile? carpet or wood surfaces? Give us a call if you have the answer to any of those questions at 514-790-800. And uh, if you want to text us, it is 514-800. You're listening to The Dr. Joe Show. We'll be right back. Life's everyday mystery solved. The Dr. Joe Show on CJAD 800. I'm sure that uh, recently many of you have uh, heard interviews or read about Dr. Brian Bridal of Guelph University and his comments about uh, vaccination. 
the comments are scary. The notion is that the uh, spike protein that is found on the surface of the virus uh, is going to be let loose in the body and that it is highly toxic. Uh, there are other allegations as well about the, the vaccines. Uh, Dr. Bridal is uh, certainly a, a legitimate uh, researcher, no question about that. He has published peer-reviewed papers, but just because someone has done that doesn't mean that um, uh, they cannot be wrong. The comments that he has made about uh, the spike protein being toxic and circulating in the bloodstream have been uh, challenged and have been certainly just uh, ripped apart by other researchers, particularly Dr. David Gorski, who is just fantastic at debunking uh, uh, nonsense. He is uh, an oncologist, a surgical oncologist at Wayne State uh, University in, in Detroit. He writes a, a daily blog, uh, and he's just wonderful. I, I would suggest that you sign up for science-based medicine, which is where where he writes. Anyway, uh, Bridal's comments have been uh, uh, certainly discussed and, uh, as I said, have been ripped apart. It just is not true that the uh, protein is toxic, and it certainly is not true that it circulates in the body. Uh, in fact, uh, what happens is that the messenger RNA in the vaccine uh, codes for the production of the spike protein inside of, of, of cells, but once that protein forms, it remains attached to the surface of the cell where it was formed. First of all, it does not enter the nucleus, so it uh, does not interact with DNA, and uh, it is not released from the cell, so it does not circulate, and furthermore, it isn't toxic. Uh, it is hard to know exactly what the motivation here is uh, to spread this kind of information, but it's also interesting to note uh, that Dr. Bridal has received a 250000 grant from the Ontario government uh, for the possible production of a vaccine, and that vaccine may be a competitor for other vaccines. I mean, I don't know if this has any role to play in the uh, uh, so-called controversy, but what I, I, I can tell you is that although, you know, obviously, uh, what happens to in the body, in the immune system with, with, with the uh, mRNA and the spike protein is, is very complicated. So we have to listen to the experts. And when you listen to the experts who are involved in, in creating the, the vaccines and who know the ins and outs, they just uh, look at Dr. Bridal's uh, work and uh, they just bridle at the, uh, at the information that uh, is being spread. Uh, so I, I don't uh, pay very much attention uh, to that. I think the vaccines are safe. Uh, I think that uh, if we look at numbers around the world, it is very clear that uh, where vaccination is taking place, numbers of, of positive um, uh, findings of, of people in hospitals are going down. We are experiencing that right here in, in Quebec as well. So the vaccines work, and we should uh, get them as soon as possible. And as I understand it now, uh, we can uh, move up the second dose of, of the vaccine, which is something that we should be doing. The more people get vaccinated, and the faster we get vaccinated, the, uh, the better. And uh, so uh, I really don't pay much attention to uh, Dr. Uh, uh, Bridal's work, uh, of course, I'm, I'm certainly not, you know, an expert in virology, uh, 
but I'm pretty good at reading literature and uh, looking at who has expertise and who has not and who's saying what. And uh, I think I can separate the sense from the nonsense pretty well. So go and get uh, vaccinated. All right, um, Jean-Pierre, let's um, uh, let's go to Jean-Pierre, who, of course, is a regular and usually has the correct answer to whatever question I ask. Well, hey, Jean-Pierre. Could you remind me? I think I've lost a little bit the question. Hello? The question, the, well, I have three, yeah. qu three questions. Uh, the first one is, uh, what can you tell from the photo on a baseball player's card about their longevity? How can you have an estimate of whether gonna, they, they are going to live longer or not? The expression on their face. More specifically. Oh, boy. If they look down... Instead of up? No. no. All right. You want to give a shot okay. to one of the other questions? Okay, yes. Okay. What uh, in, uh, in 1945 in Grand Rapids, Michigan, what uh, measure did they uh, introduce to combat a public health measure? Or as a public health so, measure? Chlorinate, to, chlorinated water? Exactly. Exactly. In 1945, Grand Rapids, Michigan, uh, was the first city to add fluoride to drinking water uh, at a concentration of one part per million. And of course, what that does is strengthen the tooth enamel and reduce the risk of cavities. And it has been called the most common health affliction in the world, that is cavities. And uh, of course, there is uh, controversy. I mean, there's controversy about everything, isn't there? <laughs> and uh, uh, But once again, when you look at the epidemiological evidence, when you listen to the experts, uh, the benefits of, of uh, fluoridation outweigh the risks. The biggest risk is in, in uh, uh, naturally occurring uh, situations where you have a high natural fluoride concentration in the water, as you have in some places in North America, you get something called fluorosis, which is a mottling of the, of the teeth. You get the, the discoloration of the teeth. But the other stuff that you may have heard, uh, you know, about uh, fluoride being linked to cancer or, or reduced intelligence, None of that has any scientific basis. Once again, the benefits outweigh the risks. Okay, Jean-Pierre, thanks very much. And you got that one, right? All right. Uh, so two other questions out there. What rule were researchers trying to study by dropping a slice of bologna onto tile, carpet, and wood surfaces? Uh, that's, uh, that's one question. And the other one still is uh, what you exactly look for in the photo uh, on a baseball card to give some idea about how long that uh, baseball player is going to live. Ron, let's see if Ron has an answer. Ron? Uh, no, I don't have an answer, <laughs> but I have a question. Okay. Um, okay, this buddy of mine has relatives in, in Italy, and uh, where the guy got the Pfizer shot, he puts a metal coin and it stays stuck on his arm where the shot was put in the arm. Is that possible? <laughs> yeah, but I bet if he puts the coin anywhere else, it will stay stuck too. No, he tried it. I saw it. He, he sent a video to my buddy, and I looked at it, and he put it lower. It didn't stay stuck to it. Only where the needle went in. Is there aluminum? Or not aluminum. It doesn't stick to metal. But is there some kind of metal that's in with the fine? No, there is, there, there is no metal. No, it, it, it doesn't make uh, any sense uh, really? whatsoever. So uh, I don't know. I mean, either, you know, they're doctoring the, the picture or, or they've put something on there. Uh, it's... It, no, there's nothing that is introduced into the vaccine that's going to make a coin stick to, really? to that place. Really? So somebody's been uh, 
messing with the, the someone is messing around in some way i can i can guarantee you that okay and just one really really quick question a friend of mine has colitis and he smokes 10 cigarettes a, bit, a day and it goes away okay when he doesn't mm-hmm. smoke it comes back with a rage so is that possible yes i did yes this this actually does have some science behind it uh, because uh, smoking can have a relaxing effect on smokers. I mean, that you know, that's why they smoke. It, you know, if they don't smoke, it makes them more anxious. And uh, anything that reduces stress, and for smokers, smoking reduces stress. So that can have, in, indeed, it can have an effect on colitis. Uh, okay. Of course, you have to balance that against mm-hmm. the effect that it potentially has on your lungs. Right. Okay. Right. Okay, well, thanks very much, and I will, note, I will note this coin experiment and see if anyone else has a comment on it. Okay, thanks very much. You're listening to the Dr. Joe Show. We'll check the CTV news and be right back. Science you can use. The Dr. Joe Show on CJAD 800. Look upon the universe with wonder in your eyes Do you tingle with attention when you're taken by surprise? If a problem should perplex you, does it put your brain in gear? Then you're ready for adventure on the science frontier You know, usually I'm pretty up to date on all the nonsense that is out there But now I'm surprised The gentleman called about... uh, uh, magnet sticking to the vaccination site. I have never heard of this. And now, during the news, of course, I googled this, and it turns out that there there are all kinds of reports uh, like uh, on this. Of course, it has all been debunked uh, because it's just total nonsense. But uh, uh, these videos are, are created by the anti-vaxxers. Uh, and of course, it isn't difficult to have something stick to your arm. You just have to apply some sticky thing on, onto your arm first. And uh, what they're trying to say is that, you know, it's the microchip in the vaccine that does this or that there are metals in the vaccine. It's all nonsense. You remember uh, uh, not that long ago, the video where they claimed that cell phones could pop popcorn because of uh, of the radiation that they put out? which was a very cleverly made video. It it looked like that was really happening. These days, of course, you can't believe what you hear, but you can't even believe what you see because it is so easy to concoct pictures and and videos. Uh, No, nothing is going to stick except the the, uh, uh, Band-Aid that they put on your arm after you get the vaccination. So this is just uh, all total nonsense. All right, let's go to Kim. Kim. Hi, Dr. Joe. How are you? Hi. I wonder if I have the answer to your question about the baseball players. In I wonder, too. Um, I'm wondering if it's uh, creases in their earlobes, the presence of them. No, but that's a very, very interesting point that you bring up because there is a relationship between heart disease and a crease in the earlobe. Yeah, uh, that, right. yeah, yeah, that that is that is actually very well documented. And mm. uh, now, obviously, it doesn't mean that cutting off your ear is going to protect you from uh, uh, heart disease. But yeah. whatever genetic factor makes one uh, uh, more susceptible to heart disease also uh, makes one uh, more likely to have that crease in the earlobe. Mm. So, yeah, that's a very good uh, uh, attempt at the answer. But that is is not uh, what the researchers were looking at. Not, but not the one you're looking for. No, but I, I like that answer. 
Okay, then. Thank you. And I'm, I'm, I'm doing something right now, which is actually the correct answer. Oh. Okay, so you want to take another that. guess at that? Huh? No, I'll have to think about it. Is it, okay. is it smiling? Yes, it is. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's what it is. And it's a it's a very interesting study, and and you know you would think that first you hear something like this, uh, you think this is total nonsense. Well, it mm -hmm. turns out that there is actually statistical validity to this. So what the researchers did was to look at baseball cards that were produced during the 1952 season, and of course they looked at those cards because that that meant that there was enough time passed since then so that you could look at longevity. And interestingly, they separated those uh, into non-smilers, moderate smilers, and full smilers. And then they looked at their life, their longevity, because uh, of course, the, you know, the, these were players who were active in the 1950s. So uh, obviously, many of them since that time have died. And they looked at the statistics. And they discovered that there was a seven-year difference between the non-smilers and the smilers. Wow. And mathematically, that's different in, in, in a sense that that doesn't happen by chance alone. Hmm. Uh, it's very interesting. Now, of course, it, it doesn't really mean that it's the smile that is doing it. Hmm. But there's something about you know attitudes and hmm. that uh, people who, who smile tend to take... Uh, uh, life less seriously. Uh, they are more adept at, at sort of jumping over the waves that come at us, you know, in, in life all the time. So I just thought that it's a very, very interesting study. And uh, there, there are other similar studies as well, where people have looked at yearbooks, uh, high school and college yearbooks, and looked at the pictures to see whether or not the people were smiling or not. And what they find is that rates of divorce are much higher among people who do not smile in their high school or college yearbook. Yeah, interesting. Interesting thing. <laughs> All right. Well, we finally got you to get the right answer. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> okay. Uh, so we've uh, got uh, answers except uh, still one more question. What rule were researchers trying to study by dropping a slice of bologna? onto tile, carpet, or wood surfaces? What were they trying to, to study? And I'm going to give you one extra question now, since the others have been answered. What medical problem can be cured with a rectal massage? And it isn't hemorrhoids, I'll tell you that. What medical problem can be cured with a rectal massage? If you know the answer to those questions, 514-790-0800. You know that the, the common symbol for medicine uh, depicts a snake, which is interesting. Uh, have you ever wondered why a snake coiled around the staff is, is widely recognized as a symbol of healing? Well, the staff actually belongs to Asclepios, who was a mythical Greek god of medicine. And in ancient Greece, the sick would go to, to be healed at shrines, and these, will, these were called Asclepia where priests often use sacred serpents in their ceremonies. Whether the snakes just scared people into feeling better or were actually used in treatment isn't clear. But Italian researchers have now examined the healing potential of the so-called four-lined snake commonly found in the area. 
The research was prompted by an ancient relief showing contact between a boy's wound and the mouth of a large snake. It turns out that snake saliva contains epidermal growth factors, which really may help heal wounds. Perhaps the snakes are blessed with this chemical because their mouths are prone to damage during the ingestion of, of prey. Sacred dogs were also kept in the Asclepia. Were they perhaps used to lick wounds? There are actually some evidence that dog saliva, like that of snakes, also contains epidermal growth factors. These substances induce healing by causing the proliferation of certain skin cells. Maybe that's why dogs are always licking themselves. And what happened to Asclepios in Greek mythology? The god of medicine was slain by Zeus because the chief of the gods feared that he might make all men immortal. In truth, he was probably slain by Hippocrates, who introduced the revolutionary idea that diseases were not caused by gods and could not be cured by them. Hippocrates began the process of careful observation and experimentation. He separated myth and magic from rational therapy. Every natural event has a natural cause, he maintained. Hippocrates investigated symptoms and was able to predict the course of disease. Asclepios' reliance on snakes for healing may yet turn out to have some merit. Proteins isolated from certain snake venoms have powerful anti-clotting effects on the blood and may one day be used in the treatment of thrombosis. Furthermore, you should note that the real symbol of medicine uh, is one single snake twirled around a staff. But in some cases, Somehow this has metamorphosed into uh, two snakes twirled around the staff, but the, the actual symbol of medicine is, is the single snake uh, uh, around the, uh, the staff. Okay, so let me just uh, once again tell you the uh, questions that, that we're after. What rule were researchers trying to study by dropping a slice of bologna onto tile, carpet, or wood surfaces? And... Uh, what medical problem can be cured with a rectal massage? Yes, believe it or not, a rectal massage does indeed offer a significant uh, treatment for a rather common condition. It certainly is not a life-threatening condition, but it can be very annoying. All right, if you know the answer to either any of those questions, give us a call at 514-790-0800. You can also text your comments and messages to 514-800. So right now we're going to check, uh, see what traffic is all about. And after that, we'll be back, hopefully, with an answer to my questions. You're listening to The Dr. Joe Show. Your source when you need answers. The Dr. Joe Show on CJAD 800. As I think many of you know, uh, for now over 30 years, I've been doing a monthly lecture at the Eleanor London Public Library in Cote St. Luke, um, first Monday of every month at 2 o'clock. And of course, for the last year, uh, I was not able to do that live uh, because of COVID, but we uh, did maintain these lectures on, on, on Zoom. 
and anyone can join us. So tomorrow at 2 o'clock, I'll be speaking about dietary supplements. And uh, in, if you want to join in and uh, hear and see the lecture, uh, you just go to the Eleanor London Public Library website, and uh, it will be obvious there what you have to do to join us on, on Zoom. And um, so we uh, do exactly what they used to do live, but this time you get to sit in front of your computer and you see the visuals just like you did when it was live. So if you want to know something more than you already know about dietary supplements, tomorrow at 2 o'clock, just go to the Eleanor London Public Library website and you'll be guided to zoom in. Okay, uh, let's go to John. John. Hi, Dr. Joe. I've been Hi. Uh, listening to you for years. And all these years I've been listening to you. I've uh, left, uh, you know, at the end of the show, feeling uh, a bit of a dum-dum. But this time, I think I got answers. I got two answers for you. Okay. So the baloney question, mm -hmm. was it the five-second rule? Yes, it is the five-second rule. Very good. Yes. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. And, of course, the five-second rule claims uh, that dropped food can be safely eaten if it is picked up in under five seconds, even if the surface where it was dropped is contaminated with bacteria. Well, believe it or not, this actually has been studied. And researchers okay. contaminated different surfaces with salmonella bacteria because that's a very common bacterium, and it's one, of course, that can cause problems. And then they uh, assayed the food after it had been dropped and, uh, and then picked up. So the results are interesting. In the case of, of tile, 99% of the bacteria that had been applied to the tile uh, ended up on the bologna uh, in under five seconds. When the bologna was dropped on the carpet, virtually none of the bacteria was transferred. And on the wood, uh, it depended on which kind of wood surface. And so the, it was very variable. And in another study, they found that wet food, such as pastrami, picked up far more bacteria than dry food, such as crackers. So moisture was more important uh, than time. Uh, but they only studied salmonella, not other bacteria. So basically, the, the fact here is that there are just too many factors involved in determining bacterial contamination of drop food so that the five-second rule has no meaning. Uh, salmonella, of course, are, are problematic because these bacteria multiply in the intestine where they can cause inflammation, and that leads to cramps and diarrhea and, and, uh, and vomiting. So you're right. That is exactly what they studied. And uh, that study was no baloney. And uh, I think we can forget about the five-second rule. Now you have and another answer? Yes, but uh, I have a comment about that. Yeah. Who, who has, other than uh, working in a chicken coop, who has salmonella on their floor? Well, I mean, if you've prepared uh, any kind, first of all, it's not only chicken. It can be any kind of meat. And, oh, if, okay. you and if you've prepared meat in the kitchen, and splashed it, you know, washed it, splashed around, it's very possible. Indeed, this is why we're told that when you are preparing chicken in the kitchen, you should not be washing it under running water because you'll be splashing the salmonella if there are any on the surface all over the place. So, wow. yes, you, you certainly can end up with bacteria on your counters and on the floor. Okay. Oh, all right. Well, and uh, What's the other answer you, you have? Years ago. The other yeah. answer, 
was uh, in the same vein as uh, putting an ice cube on uh, between the thumb and forefinger on the web to uh, to alleviate the headache. Uh-huh. Uh, the rectal massage, if I'm not mistaken, had to do with hiccups. Very good. That yes. is exactly right. <laughs> Boy, you you are on a hot streak here. Yeah, you're not you're not you're not going away as a dummy today. <laughs> no, exactly. Hiccups are, are caused by a spasm of the diaphragm. That, of course, is that muscle that stretches, you know, just below your rib cage across the body. And then that muscle moves up and down as you breathe because it, it creates a space for the lungs to expand and contract. Anyway, why the spasm occurs is not known. But it is often triggered by drinking uh, carbonated beverages. I mean, that's not, you know, surprising. And also alcoholic drinks or salty or spicy foods. Now, the interesting thing here is that there have been two independent studies that have looked at this. And uh, uh, they studied people, of course, who had protracted uh, episodes of hiccups. So, you know, I mean, most hiccups, of course, just go away by themselves in a very short time. But there are some people who unfortunately are, are afflicted with long-term hiccups because their diaphragm keeps spasming. And so these are the kind of people who were studied. And there were two independent studies that showed that a 30-second rectal massage, basically <laughs> wriggling a finger in that part of the anatomy, stopped the hiccups. <laughs> and uh, exactly why but some is not clear, but somehow this affects the same nerves uh, you know that are affected that that trigger the the spasm in the uh, in the diaphragm, but there's an interesting footnote to this story, and uh, that is that the uh, same nerves can be triggered by an orgasm, and somehow that that seems to be a more attractive approach than uh, than the finger. And incidentally, holding the breath or drinking water upside down or biting into a lemon. Uh, are not a cure for hiccups. So that's very good. You uh, well, I'm gonna got both of those right. A, I'm going to use you as a reference uh, the next time I get hiccups and I approach my wife to uh, help me out. <laughs> you could, yes, if, if need be, you could you can pretend to have hiccups. Right? Yeah. <laughs> oh yes, you can certainly use use that as a reference. I, I think that that would be for a good end. <laughs> Happy okay. All you. right. Okay. Very good. All right. So, so we got answers to um, to my questions uh, today. Uh, we learned that it is a good idea to smile more uh, because not only does it reduce stress, but at least according to that uh, study of uh, baseball player photographs, it uh, the more you smile, the longer you can expect to to live. Uh, Interesting. You know, I'm always fascinated by the kind of things that that people end up uh, uh, studying. Uh, We also heard about this uh, uh, business that I see now. I say, you know, uh, looking at it, it's all all over the Internet uh, uh, about uh, magnets or other objects sticking to to the skin uh, where we have been uh, vaccinated. I don't think that this needs a study. I think this can be uh, dismissed as as absolute uh, nonsense. Uh, However, one might want to study why people are pretending to do this and why others so readily believe that this can be true. 
without doing any kind of investigation. And of course, it isn't hard to investigate because, uh, uh, of course, you can just Google this phenomenon and you will immediately see uh, all of the debunking that is uh, out there because, of course, this is not uh, a difficult thing to debunk. All right, well, we've uh, approached a lot of topics here today. Hope you are smarter now than you were an hour ago. Anyway, that's it. Once again, we are smack out of time, but we'll be back with you same time, same station next week. And until then, I'm Joe Schwartz, hoping all the chemistry in your life comes out just right. <laughs>